If you needed help at 4am, who would you turn to? What are the health impacts of feeling isolated? And in a world where more of us are living longer or choosing to be on our own, how do we protect ourselves from one of the biggest problems facing both the older and younger generations? Loneliness. You see, the dictionary says being lonely is sadness without friends or company. But perhaps being alone isn't as simple as the meaning suggests. From the people who've worn the t-shirt and got the postcard of facing life alone, to those connecting them with a new lease of life, to the GPs and health experts seeing their patients transform firsthand. This is Discover Bright Life, a podcast series challenging the idea of what loneliness really is and what all of us can do to help to avoid it. For more information on this series, visit brightlifecheshire.org.uk. Discover Bright Life, because sometimes the best medicine is a good laugh in friendly company. comes to visiting a GP. Sometimes all we need is a pill, an injection or a simple pat on the back. But how does diagnosing a patient who's feeling lonely differ to the usual clientele passing through a doctor's doors? And are feelings of isolation really covered under doctor's orders anyway? Well, one of the ways that Bright Life is reaching new members is through its connections with local GP surgeries. Dr. Achla Damania and Dr. Jonathan Griffiths are both GPs at the Swanlow Centre in Winsford, Cheshire. They've seen for themselves the difference referring some of their regular faces to the social prescribing team has had and have also been challenging their own thoughts on the effects loneliness can have on all of our health, regardless of age, gender and background. In this episode, we listen in to Achler and Jonathan's conversation as they ponder over the who, what and why social isolation is something all health experts must continue to learn about. So I've been looking at the website for the Campaign to End Loneliness, which is really worth looking at. So that's campaigntoendloneliness.org. And if you've not seen that, I really would recommend you have a a look at it. And actually, anybody who um, is worried about finding out more about the impact that loneliness has, or if you are lonely yourself, or you think that somebody that you know is lonely and may have issues, it's worth looking at that site because there are resources for professionals like us, but there are resources for people who feel they might be lonely as well. Uh, But there's some fascinating stats on there which i think are amazing actually so did you know actually that uh, loneliness uh, is associated with a greater risk of cognitive decline for example well i didn't actually know that but it doesn't surprise me i think you you, you kind of see it in people when uh, but i didn't really know whether it's Mm -hmm. because they're on their own or yeah. Because their partner's died. <laughs> I think it's interesting because I can understand how somebody who has dementia that being isolated and lonely would impact on that. But the, the, the research does suggest that you have an increased risk of developing cognitive decline if, if you're lonely. Mm. Uh, and just that, that lack of social interaction in itself can start to 
have its effects. And what's also really interesting is the effects that loneliness can have on some other physical health. Um, so apparently it's associated with an increased risk in developing coronary heart disease and mm. stroke, increases the risk of high blood pressure. Um, and I think it's apparently it's comparable. If you are um, lonely and isolated, the impact on your mortality is comparable to obesity and has a similar influence to cigarette smoking. It, it's comparable risk factor for early death as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Really? That's amazing, isn't it? Which is remarkable. And so, uh, and that's to say, you know, this, the site has got all these stats on it, which kind of, and we spend all this time often focusing on the things that we know are harmful, like smoking and obesity and treating yeah. diabetes and treating heart disease. But do we spend the equivalent time focusing on people who are lonely? Probably because we can't give them a pill or tell them to stop we being lonely. We, we can't give them a pill, can we? Um, but we see, you know, I see the effects um, of loneliness on people that are coming into my surgery. And I know that you will do uh, do as well. And I know that you've been using or uh, referring people to, to Bright Life. So what, who, who have you seen and what kind of people have you seen that you've used Bright Life with? Um, well, I, I think basically the, there's quite a lot of people. But there was one person who I was, uh, it, it was particularly impressive, really. So he was this man who um, <clears throat> had developed a long-term illness, basically, and was having a lot of side effects from treatment. And he'd come in and he was really grumpy. And his wife said, oh, he, he is so grumpy and he won't go out anywhere. And I'm just going to go out without him. He, uh, I'm just uh, really fed up. And I said, oh, well, why don't you get him to come to see me? Because I thought, well, perhaps he's depressed. And he did seem quite low, really. And one of the things he said was, well, before I used to go to work and, and I used to, you know, be um, with the lads all day and I, I used to, it used to be really good and, but I'd, I'd go back to work tomorrow if I could, but I, I can't because of the way he feels. Mm -hmm. So uh, I sort of mentioned Bright Life and said, uh, well, I don't really know if they can find somewhere for mm -hmm. you to go. And I phoned up Jackie and she said, oh yeah, yeah, she took his details. Uh, and then his wife came back and reported that um, you know, he was a different man mm -hmm. and he joined men's in sheds or something and yeah. um, he, he was, he was, and I didn't see him again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and he seemed a lot happier and that was, that was one case which was really good and, and his wife also felt a lot better. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is amazing. Uh, so th there are a lot of people and I think that when people have developed uh, long term illnesses and they have had treatment and they lose their confidence it's difficult for them to then get out and uh, or, or look for things to do uh, and with Bright Life obviously you, you refer them to somebody who knows what's around and just yeah. has a chat with them and suggests things and I think that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I guess we should say, so, so for those that don't know, Bright Life is a, a local initiative that's a lottery, lottery funded, looking at social isolation and loneliness in the, in the elderly, although they define the elderly as over 50, yeah. which is, uh, yeah, feels a bit real to me approaching that number myself. Um, but I went along to um, see Bright Life at a coffee morning. Um, we sat down and saw, and saw some of the, the I would call them patients, but they're just people, aren't they? The same as, as, mm, as you mm. or I uh, who were there. Uh, and it was great. And they were talking about how helpful it's been to have 
coffee mornings that they know that are on and lunches and just the connections with initiatives that are already there so lots of charities already put on soup lunches or, or sandwiches or whatever it might be yeah. or, or or tea dances um but connecting people and saying did you know that the salvation army run this on a friday why didn't you go to their lunch and meet people and then also working out for them how they're going to get there so transportation is a massive thing mm. um, for for the elderly and I so I remember I think the first blog that I ever wrote a few years ago was after I'd um, volunteered to spend a day in a wheelchair so I just spent a day in the wheelchair just to see how it how it was um, and I thought that I would I would find it inconvenient and difficult mm. I, I you know couldn't get obviously up and down stairs and and so on and all of that was true but the thing that really struck me at the end of the day was that I, because I couldn't get to the office I would normally be in at the CCG because there was no lift in the building. Yeah. So they found a desk for me downstairs in a, in a different part of the building, a different room, different people to I was normally with who I didn't know. And they were all lovely, but I didn't know them. And I felt completely socially isolated because these were not my normal work colleagues, my friends. And it was that sense of, and that realisation that, gosh, if I... If you can't get out, if I couldn't get out and wheel myself yeah. upstairs to see the people that I knew and, and, were, and were friends with, how, how lonely that could make you feel. And we see people all the time in our home visits, don't we, who we might be the only person they see all day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, sometimes it's quite difficult because when, when you say to people, you know, do you get a bit lonely and stuff, uh, <clears throat> sometimes they think it's a reflection on... Um, on them or their family and they say oh my daughter's very good and this kind of thing mm. but I do think people need uh, something for themselves outside of uh, their family uh, and I think that uh, this uh, kind of thing is is is, is it basically is invaluable really because in fact I mean, so one of the st- stats that I saw on the uh, campaign to end loneliness site is that apparently over half of people aged 75 uh, live alone Mm. And, and I know what it's like, you know. So if my if my wife and kids go away for the weekend and, and or yeah. you know during the week, and I'm and, I, and you come home to a, to an empty house, you know, part of me thinks, oh, it's great, it's nice and quiet, and I can you know do mm. what I want. But actually, it's not that great. Mm. Uh, and 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 I really miss that social contact really quickly. Mm. Um, just for a weekend, you think, gosh, I'm I'm, I'm looking mm. forward to them coming coming home again. Yeah. But, and if you live on your own all of the time, um, you miss that social contact, mm. and you can see where Bright Life can. F- and, and other initiatives can fit in there to help people still get out and see people and also spending your entire time in one place in potentially in one room of your mm. of your house and, and not getting out at all um, you can see why it has these effects on people's mental and physical health it's interesting when we think about um, how we identify people who are, uh, are lonely and I guess it's tricky isn't it because people often won't they won't come and see us as GPs and say oh, I've come to see you because I'm lonely yeah well often they'll they'll come saying that they're unwell but a lot of the time we do ask them don't we, we say oh you know uh, who do you live with and that kind of thing especially when they when they come with things like tiredness or they've got a chronic illness really and quite often they will open up and say you know things like oh well you know it's a little bit difficult because I can't get out and that kind of thing 
Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's what people mainly say. Uh, I can't get out. I don't think they generally go, oh, well, I'm really lonely. <laughs> yeah. And the trick, I think, is is to be more proactive than perhaps I have been in the past uh, to ask these questions and identify people who are lonely. And, and often... I think we ask it when there's times of crisis. So suddenly, mm, definitely. You, you, oh, you're really unwell. Um, do I need to send you to hospital or can I yeah. keep you at home? Well, who else is at home? And only then do you find out that there's nobody. Yeah. And once you're at that point, it's it's all a bit late. But yes. how can we do things earlier on to identify who needs additional support and who needs additional help? And And even when I'm saying that, it's not about necessarily about help. It's yeah. just identifying for people did you know that this this exists did mm. you know that this exists and i don't want to medicalize people or somehow think that i've got all the answers because often people have got the answers in themselves, themselves yeah. uh, and and need to do this i think what one group of people that i am often more aware of is those who have just been bereaved mm. um, and we often see of course the person who's been ill and then has died and we're aware of that and it's trying to remember that okay so Mr. Smith has, has died and I get the notification that that's happened. I might have been involved uh, in that end of life process. But then, OK, I need to remember about Mrs. Smith now because Mrs. Smith mm. is, is now on, on her own. And, and what support uh, does she have? Uh, and we know that bereaved people have particular issues um, around loneliness as well. Mm. Yeah, it can be really quite difficult. So another stat for you then. So 63% of adults aged 52 or over who've been widowed... Um, feel lonely sometime or often yeah. um, and I think that and you'd perhaps expect that and in fact I, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been a higher percentage of those individuals who have been uh, living with somebody for, for many years mm. and then suddenly they find that they are on their own mm. um, and when I went to the uh, the Bright Life um, coffee morning uh, we were certainly seeing individuals who um, had been bereaved and were now on their own and finding that that a great source of social interaction just let's let's meet some new people and we can go and we can we can chat um, and, and they were they were laughing they were joking they were talking about how great it was to meet up at whatever dance it was or whatever at lunch that they would go to uh, and the transport being a key thing a part of that, a part of that. So, so it was really mm. good I, I i guess when people are sort of um on their own they don't really have anybody to talk about with how they're feeling and stuff so certain symptoms or whatever they're they have to be quite bad before they come and say any tell anybody about it and also uh, there's nobody to nag them to go and see uh, a doctor or take a, a note of this so quite a lot of the time the social isolation can lead to a delay in a diagnosis there was this one particular lady she had a she, she had a sort of cancer on her face mm. and she just shut herself away and then it got so huge that and then that's that's only when she sort of sought help yes and 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 that's quite uh that's quite sad really um, yeah i think it both ways can't it so i think there are, often i will see people who will say oh my my wife has told me i should get this checked out Mm. You know, or particularly so skin lesions on, on the back yeah. that, you, that you can't see that that's really common it's on my you know my wife said i need to get this particular mole uh, checked out so that you can't see yourself mm. um but i think also interestingly you you don't have that person there to say i'm feeling like this do you think it's okay mm. and for the other person to say yes you're fine 
Yeah. You know, um, and so what you also see is people who are are less independent and, and are lonely and isolated tend to go to their doctor more and have higher use of medication, higher incidence of falls. And I thought part of it is that they don't know who else to talk to or who else to go to and how to get that reassurance. Mm. Um, so on one hand, you have people that potentially miss things because they, no one's saying you know, you've got to get that checked out. But equally, going to your doctor all the time isn't a great thing either because you mm. need people around you to, to say, you know, no, you're okay, that's fine, let's see, see how it goes and, and so on. And we need to get the right balance and, and people on their own very hard to keep that balance uh, yeah I think that's one thing we do pick up on if people are coming all the time and they're needing reassurance that is a clue that they may be they haven't got anybody to reassure them yes um, and perhaps they need to be going out a bit more and I think this is all really important for us um, as GPs so we both work in in practice don't we at seeing seeing patients and we see it firsthand the, the impact that it that it makes so I also work, well, we both work for the, for the CCG, yourself um, on Cancer and End of Life and, and myself as chair of the CCG. And it's really important that we identify and recognise that some of these issues have impacts uh, about what we commission and how we want to try and put services mm. in strategically. And if we think about the impacts that it has on physical health, like we've talked about, and we haven't really talked much about mental health, but clearly yes. there's a huge link with, with mental health we need to be commissioning appropriate services and I think doing that with our local authorities uh, because some of this is clearly health a lot of it is not really health problem people are lonely it's not because they've got a physical health problem it may lead to it Uh, how can we help them together as health and social care to ensure that the right services are in place people know where they can go to get support where they know where they can go to meet new people how are we designing our towns to make it easy for people to get around mm. um, I, I keep talking about transport and it's true so what what public transport links have we got that make it easy for people to get out of their houses into the town even to do their their shopping mm. uh, and, and to get out and about and how we do that is really important i think increasingly we're recognizing in commissioning that we need to do this and do this in a in a joined up way yeah i mean it's obvious isn't it the, the better your social structure the better the health and i think you know, we're struggling at the moment aren't we so we're we're recording this in uh, in january um yeah. and all the newspaper reports are about the the winter pressures. bed crisis and the win- mm. winter pressures uh, and if you're sat at home on your own and you've got nobody to say um, do you think I'm okay and you've got a cough and a cold you're much more likely to end up calling the GP or calling 999 mm. uh, nobody there to help you and you suddenly take to your bed with with flu mm. now if I take to my bed with flu you know I've got a wife and two kids who can can look after me and make sure that I'm all right if you're on your own you're much less likely to stick it out on your own and, and more likely to, to, to call for health services to help you out and more likely to need health services if you get dehydrated or whatever well, absolutely and, and more likely <laughs> to end up to get out and more likely to end up in hospital and fantastic we've, we've got an nhs that can that can provide that service for you but equally you don't want to be in hospital if you can help it uh, no, that, they're not, not they're not great places to be so how do you stay at home and have someone to look after you if you haven't got those family and friends around to support you mm. This is Discover Bright Life, 
We're hoping by now you're thinking about the concept of being lonely in a different way to before. Have you or someone you know felt disconnected from the world around you? Over the next few weeks, we'll introduce you to some incredible stories of those who've been there and done that but also some of Bright Life's employees whose job it is to tailor a solution especially to suit you. Here's a taster of what to expect next episode. Some people are really pleased just to have a visitor, to have somebody to offer a cup of tea to. They can be nervous. They're worrying about what you're going to ask them and how intimidating it might be for them. And yet, once you start just chatting and and you're looking around the room and be able to say, oh, look at that photograph, that's beautiful. Who's that in the photograph? And, And being able to bring out stories of their life from that. And I think, you know, things like that, you can, when you reflect back on it, you see a real difference even just within, say, that hour, two hours that you've Mm. spent with somebody. I think, yeah, the journey that you can see from the start to, you know, the couple of months down the line to where they were to where they are is amazing. Like, they've come out the other side and have really kind of blossomed and it's, it's really nice to see and that's, you know, what kind of gives me the satisfaction that you are really making a difference. That's Catherine and Chris, known as social prescribers. More of their insight on episode three. But let's head back to Atchler and Jonathan and how they've come to understand their responsibility as GPs when it comes to helping spot loneliness during surgery. As a GP, if I was to say to you, Atchler, right, you know, I think you need to be doing more to tackle social isolation as a GP. I mean, do you think that's your job? Do you think you can do that with, with the resources that you've got? Hmm. I think the thing is you can't really you can signpost people and I think that's the best way to do it but you can't actually um, give them friends as such Uh, and the thing about signposting things is that when you do you need to know that this signposting is reliable Mm. and in Mm. so many services start and then fold so you need to know which ones because the the worst thing is being told to say oh you know contact this person and then you contact them and you don't get any response it's a hard it doesn't build confidence and you're less likely to look further sure uh, so i think we do need to be supported in in knowing that what we signpost to will actually works really i, I think you're right i think this the first first of all for me the wake-up call of how this is how important this is mm. and and the impact it has on on health and so those stats that i keep talking about were really Im- impactful uh, to me so first of all, I would, I would say I think we should tell GPs more. This is an important thing. And yeah. we, we're all focused on high blood pressures and cholesterols and so on. Well, what about this? And this is just as important. And then I think the second thing is, yeah, what, what can I do then? So if I identify, if I d- identify somebody who is lonely, um, well, what, what can I do? Mm. So knowing there are services like Bright Life and knowing how to refer into them is key because it needs to be easy for me as well. We've talked about we need to make things easy for other people to uh, make those social connections. Well, as a, as a busy GP, I need to just know how to do it or know that somebody in the practice can do it for me. Um, and then the reliability of, of the referral on and the, and the signposting is absolutely key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, people, some people are very happy to refer themselves, but other people just don't have the confidence to do that. And so, so the referral forms that we can fill in uh, can be quite useful but I do think that um, 
ideally people should make contact themselves because that shows that they're you know their commitment and they're going to engage really yeah and there's something about uh, we said it earlier about not medicalizing things that don't need medicalizing mm. uh, and, and we know so one of the stats is that lonely individuals are more prone to depression that doesn't mean that if you're lonely you, you are depressed and mm. therefore it doesn't mean that you need to have a little tablet to improve your depression mm. uh, and empowering people to realize actually i can do something about my loneliness i mm. can uh, find other people to talk to uh, i can go to bright life i can go to whatever coffee morning i think is really helpful f- for them and we see lots of people who come essentially not knowing what to do where to yeah. turn uh, wanting us to fix them yes uh, and, and i'm not sure that that is always the most helpful if we just say there you go there's a prescription yeah. but handing that back and empowering them to get themselves better is so much more powerful uh, and I think you get patients then who feel so much better about well they have achieved this mm. it's not just because I've done a prescription for them they have sorted this out themselves and they get so much more self-confidence and self-esteem oh, you know from that yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so going back to that um that thing about all older people being over 50 actually how, well, yeah. how, how, how does that how does that land with uh, with, with you and the idea of social isolation and, and old age? Well, I have to say that um, anybody can be feel lonely and isolated, but I have to say that when you get past fifty, you are more likely to have, you know, be sort of have break up and relationships or partners dying or children leaving or mm. you know retiring not having the job or yes. having long-term illnesses which may means that you can't do you your job in the war may have to leave a job so i think i think 50 is a good cutoff point i mean you know there's some 90 year olds uh, what was it when i was, I was watching uh, uh, some program and there was this 87 year old man who's a millionaire and he can do anything he wants yeah. and he's dancing away so yeah well he's not you know Yes. He's still lonely. <laughs> yeah. You know, it depends, doesn't it? And I think I, I quite like 50. I'm over 50. but I, I would never believe it, actually. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think, it's, I think you're, all the things you say are right, aren't they? And, it, and it, it's over, it can happen to anybody at any age, let's be yeah. absolutely clear. So you can be lonely at any age. And you, and you can be lonely sur- surrounded by people. Yes, um, definitely. If you don't have those connections and you don't have, have those friends. Um, but there are a number of significant life events that can occur and, and seem to occur when you get over 50. So finishing work, um, children leaving home, um, bereavement of your, of your spouse and, and your friends. Yes. So, uh, you know, as, as, as we get older, our, our friends will, will start to die. It's just a fact of life, isn't it? Oh, of course, and your parents die. And, and, uh, yeah, yes, and uh, yes. sort of older people that you know start dying and... and, and may have you know given you support yes uh, and a lot of support really so yeah, yeah. And, and i you know i don't think we talk about bereavement and grief enough actually um, no no definitely not and, and it gets swept under the carpet and then w- when you experience it and we all experience grief and bereavement at mm. some point but then you're not quite sure well what what is normal you know and i i see people come to see me and they say well i thought i got over it by now and i said well when did your husband die oh it was two months ago Mm. Well, and how long were you married? Well, 50 years. You say, well, hold on, 50 years and then it was two months ago. Mm. And you think that you should be feeling different to you are. No, you're going to feel like this. Mm. This is a, a normal process. How can we help you with that? 
uh, not meaning that I need to do anything, but how do you, how can I help you understand the, the process that you're going through and the support that's available for you? I think I think uh, it, if you understand that the way you're feeling is normal, just just helps actually. Yeah. Because I think we don't talk, well. I don't think we talk about death enough, and uh, you know, it always seems to come as a surprise yeah. that, that yeah. uh, people are sort of going to die when well, we all are. Yes. So anyway, but that's a whole different issue. I think. Yeah. Yeah. We've got diverted, haven't we? Yes. We've, so we've got ourselves sidetracked. Um, but I mean, mental health. We talked about it. It's a little bit in terms of. Um, cognitive decline mm. um, but I, I think as well we we see mental health and again this is through all ages of yes, people um, who struggle with uh, low mood depression anxiety that often is worse if people don't have the social connections around them yes uh, and when you're feeling low and you're not confident that kind of thing is far more difficult then to keep up or keep connections with your friends and things which in fact actually is is, is vital in lifting your mood and distracting yeah. you and this kind of thing so uh, and giving you uh, the structures that you had and stop you sitting there dwelling on your negative thoughts sure yeah yeah there's some evidence that loneliness and low social interactions are predictive of suicide mm, definitely uh, in older age uh, i need to be aware of that as well mm. There's also something about uh, you can have carers going in, yeah, but still be lonely. Oh yeah, and 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 a carer, a professional carer, who who may or may not be the same person every day, and so mm. sometimes it might be different people, but they're also they're working to uh, certain rule, parameters yes. and certain rules, and uh, they're on a on a clock, yes, and they've got to get to the to the next visit, and doesn't replace the the, the friends and family that you might have around you. I remember. I mean, I don't know how this happened, but I remember a lady who I visited and they told the story of how um, the, the fuse had gone and so the house was in darkness and the carers wouldn't reset the fuse because that was that wasn't within their job description to set the fuse. <laughs> right. and, they, and they even rang their manager who said, oh, no, you can't be messing with the electrics. It was, it was literally just to press a button, you know, as you would do on yes, a modern fuse yes. box. It wasn't a replacing a fuse. Um, and they left her in the dark. Uh, mm. Until her daughter came home late, much later that evening and pressed the button and the lights came back on again, and and it's that kind of thing. You know, if you haven't got somebody that you can call, even a neighbour or a friend who can just, you know, can you come and just reset my fuse box? And well, I'm I'm amazed how people don't actually call on their neighbours and friends because I'd be very happy to help my neighbour or friend. But I had this one case where mm. a woman collapsed behind the door. And so I sidled in and sort of called the ambulance and uh, she said, well, what about the dog? I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and it, uh, so it was in those days before you could, where they had connect, I think you can ring up somebody now and come and okay. collect a dog. And so she, the lady told me to ring this kennel and then they, we had to leave the key somewhere. And mm. eventually the lady who was collapsed said to me, oh, you can go around to number X a thingy yeah. and uh, drop the key off there. So I went around and the lady said, why didn't she tell me yes. I would have come around and this type of thing. And so people just don't seem to have the confidence to ask their neighbours it, it, or, or for, for help and I, I heard that a really uh, so a key question to ask people is uh, if you were to have a problem at 4am is there anybody that you could call right uh, and if the answer is no 
yes. then then that's a, a clear indicator of social isolation and and risk because you are you then will resort to either sitting it out and you perhaps shouldn't be sitting it out or you're going to ring 999 yes uh, and uh so i remember last year so a year ago at 1 a.m on christmas morning our boiler burst and i was i was still putting up a trampoline in the back garden as as you do at 1 a.m on a christmas morning and um, walked into the kitchen with water pouring out of a light socket uh, and we were okay and you know there was me and my wife and we were able to turn the water off and so on but i thought gosh you know if you were on your own and your boiler bursts in the middle of the night you know what do you do and and who, who do you call if you haven't got those those social connections and, and as you know, I've got a broken, you can't see on the podcast, but I've got a broken wrist <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but it's amazing how hard it is to ask for help. And so the number of people that have said, you know, if you need help driving the kids anywhere, if you need taking to appointments, because I can't drive, yeah. uh, then then we're here for you. Just call. Uh, and even when you need the help and you know people have said, it's actually quite hard to say, yes, it uh, is. You know, do, do you mind? Would it be okay if you were to take me to a fracture clinic? And people, are, and, and I would do it for them without, yeah, without a thought. Hesitation. Without no hesitation. Um, and yet it's still quite hard to pick up the phone yeah. and, and ask for help. Mm. Um, so I guess if you wanted to say anything to patients, so if some patients were listening to this, I can use the word patients. They're just people, aren't they? So yeah. people who are lonely listening to this, what what would we say to them in terms of what they should do? Should they talk to their GP? Who should they talk to? What should they say? Well, I think it doesn't matter who you talk to as long as you talk to somebody. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then if you feel that the you, you want to go to your GP and talk to them, then I think that's absolutely fine. It is quite difficult, to, I think, to come and say, oh, I'm lonely. But mm. it's all right to say that. And I think that that's, that's the kind of message that, we kind of need to say you know yeah. and it, and lots of people are lonely you're not you're not the only one that's yeah. right and i think if you are local to our area which is uh, west cheshire then of course you can contact bright life directly yourself give give bright life a call there are, there are worse things that you could do yes and uh from experience they have been very helpful <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and, and the key thing about Bright Life, I, I can see, it's not about somebody doing to you or fixing you uh, or solving your problem for you. It's connecting you with other people who are also have been lonely. Um, yes. and, and together you're, you can find that um, you can solve your own problems and solve your own loneliness by being connected with uh, the right people. The key thing to remember, uh, if, if you are worried about going to your GP uh, to say, I'm lonely, well, don't be, um, you know, is the, is the thing. And, and the reason that you shouldn't be worried about going to your GP uh, is that we recognise as GPs that we are all human. Yes. Uh, that we all have these life events that we go through. Uh, and GPs go through them as well. We're not superhuman. You know, and when I broke my wrist, people were saying, hold on, you're a doctor. I thought doctors were invincible. No, we're not. <laughs> you know, we, we, we break arms and legs. We get appendicitis. We, we get coughs and colds just like anybody else. And we get lonely and we get low and we get stressed and we get depressed just like anybody else. So we understand. And also, um, there's not a lot we haven't seen. 
Yeah. When I'm when I'm uh, not very well, my patients often will say to me, "Oh, I know a good doctor." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but there's not a lot we haven't seen. So actually, coming and saying that you're lonely, you will not be the first person that I've ever seen who has said, "I am, I am lonely. I'm isolated." Uh, so don't be worried that you will come across as being strange or that you should be coping better because who's to say that anybody else in your situation wouldn't be feeling exactly the same as you if not worse you've been listening to discover bright life a podcast challenging the idea of loneliness and exploring new ways of tackling social isolation for those over 50 The podcast is presented and produced by Claire Freeman and a small furry bear productions. For more information, visit brightlifecheshire.org.uk. Discover Bright Life, because sometimes the best medicine is a good laugh in friendly company.